The following is a sermon podcast from White Ridge Baptist Church. Amen. So good to be together today. And uh, if you're visiting among us, uh, there's a card in the chair ahead of you, on the back of the chair ahead of you, and we'd love for you to fill that out and have a record of your visit. And you're welcome to just uh, hand that in to someone out in in the foyer after the service. Would you take your Bibles, if you have one, and turn to the book of Galatians in the New Testament? Today we begin a new series of sermons, and I was so excited that we're going to be starting in this new building in the book of Galatians. And the reason is because of all the things that I think could wrap up in a short sermon series, the message of the true gospel that we want to be all about, the reason this investment has been worthwhile in this building, and the reason that an organization could, could focus on community of faith in this end of Winnipeg is because there's a real gospel, there's real good news that sets people free, and we're excited that this is the first expository sermon series that we're going to look at in, in this new building And so today we're just going to begin with an introduction in Galatians chapters 1 and verse 1 to 10. And if you're able to stand, would you stand now as I read this portion of the Bible to us? Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead and, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, not that there is another one, but There are some who trouble you and and want to desert and distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, and I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. For am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. May God bless his word. You may be seated. Thank you. The title of this sermon series is called Freedom, the Nature of True Religion. And some people might, might ask me, why, why would you press into service uh, an old word like religion, which just gets so misunderstood? And I think the reason I felt after much prayer and thought decided to use it is because I think it still has use. It just needs to be redefined because it's been mishandled a lot. Oh, you're religious, people will say. And um, so we need to redefine it. What is the nature of true religion? Well, the word religion comes from a Latin word which means to tie or to bind, like the bond that is between humanity and God, or the gods in some religions. And the idea is that by the 1300s, it actually became known of any particular religious system, that's a belief system, that that was what religion referred to. It's the idea of being binding and tying together two things. 
Now, I want to illustrate the beginning of this sermon, something that I think will help us. It's in Luke chapter 13. You don't have to turn to it. But in Luke chapter 13, there is a story of what happens in the life of Jesus. He is in the synagogue, and he's walking through the synagogue, and he, he meets up with a woman who has a, dis- a, disease or a disability, and she is bent over like this. And she's walking like this. And Jesus meets this woman, and he walks up to her, and he says, Woman, be healed. And he touches her, and she's able to straighten up. Completely straight. And she, she glorifies God, and she thanks Jesus. She begins, begins to be a follower of Jesus. And, and as that happens, the people that are also witnessing this miraculous event are the synagogue rulers, their religious leaders. And they see what has happened, and it says in the Bible in Luke 13, 13, they're indignant, they're angry. Why are they angry? Because Jesus healed this woman of 18 years of disability. He healed her on the Sabbath day. And they had a a legalistic view and reading of Sabbath. Now Jesus responds to their legalism and he says, You hypocrites! How many of you, when your donkey is in the morning, in, in the morning you get up and you untie your donkey and you take that donkey and water it? And he says, how much more should this woman who has been bound, same word as untied, how much more this woman who has been bound by Satan, see it says that she had an evil spirit that caused this, how much more should she be freed and how much more on the Sabbath? In other words, Jesus responds to their legalistic hypocrisy, their religious reality, and he says, what better place for this woman, this child of God, to be restored than in the synagogue on the Sabbath? What a wonderful way of presenting the kingdom that Jesus Christ came to bring. Now, I think that actually that story represents that there are three types of religion on the earth today as there was in that day. This woman, it says, was bound. Again, religion means to tie or bind. This woman was bound by Satan for 18 years. Jesus comes, touches her, sets her free, and and immediately she begins to follow Jesus. She is, in a sense, bound to Jesus. Now she's bound by a, a bond of love and glad obedience. Right? She was bound by Satan. Jesus set her free. She is now bound to follow Jesus, but not out of duty and have to and drudgery, but out of love and glad obedience. But there's a third group that's looking on here, and it is the religious leaders. And and the moment that she is set free from one enslavement and given this new bond of love in Jesus, the religious leaders come along and they they say, oh, no, 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 This, this shouldn't be this way. And you know something, that happens over and over and over again today. Somebody comes out of the enslavement of Satan, addictions and sins and problems they face. They meet up with Jesus Christ, and he sets them free. He says, I died on the cross for your sin. I have come that you might have life abundant. Come into the freedom that I want to give you. 
And as soon as that happens, guess what happens often? The religiosity of man-made religion comes in and says, yeah, yeah, okay, that's fine. It's Jesus, that's for sure, but it's plus a whole bunch of this stuff too. Jesus plus is the equation of a man-made religion. Jesus plus, in this case, you better make sure you don't get healed on the Sabbath. You better make sure that you get circumcised. You better make sure that you, you obey all these Old Testament dietary laws and so on and so forth. Jesus plus. And I think there's nothing that hurts the heart of God more than that kind of idea where we put a, an extra heavy load upon those that have come into newfound freedom in Christ, man-made religion, all of a sudden the joy turns to, to duty. G Paul addresses this in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. He says, You did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave to fear all over again, but you have received the spirit of adoption, and you cry out, Abba, Father. In other words, Paul is saying, just like Jesus was saying, he said, I did not set people free from the enslavement that Satan had just so that they could come out of worldly enslavement and become religious slaves. Enslaved by religion. Do you know in the prodigal son parable that Jesus tells, was there one son or two sons? Thank you. <laughs> there were two sons. One son is an example of one who was caught in worldly enslavement and turned and came back to the Father. Out of the sins of the flesh, he came to the Father. He was bound by sins. He had to be unbound, set free, and he came back. And what did the Father do? The Father's love embraced him, and he was rebound to the Father's love. He was given a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, sandals on his feet. He said, this son that was once dead is now alive. We must celebrate. But there was another son in the story, wasn't it? And he was also bound but not by worldly enslavement. He was bound by religious enslavement. And he had problems more in the sins of the Spirit than the sins of the flesh. But he too, if you'll know the story, needed to be rebound to the Father's love because he was not walking well with the Father. And today... We don't believe that Jesus sets free so that we can come bring him into the church and reburden them with a whole bunch of extra stuff that Jesus never intended. This is what the book of Galatians is all about, folks. I have a ring on my finger here. And uh, almost 36 years ago, Pat put this ring on my finger. And when I let her put this ring on my finger, I was saying that of all the women in this world, I choose Pat. And then, and then the ceremony continued, and, and, and I took a ring, and I placed it on her finger. And in receiving that ring, she was saying, of all the men in this world, I choose you. Now, I have nothing against cultures that have arranged marriages, but this was not an arranged marriage. We didn't have to get married, okay? There was no uh, obligation on us. There was no duty-boundness. It was not some kind of a 
contract that was made. You know, I, we married out of glad love for each other. And it took us into this incredible freedom. Freedom. Now, there's two ways of looking at marriage, just as there's a few ways of looking at religion. I saw this marriage that began 36 years ago as a joyful delight, a joyful freedom that I entered into. And I get to now enjoy life with this one woman in a special way. And I don't have to worry about all the other billion women on this earth. That didn't sound right. I... <laughs> but you get what I mean. There's freedom in that. Our marriage is not a binding contract. It is a covenant love in which we are given the freedom of loving each other. But not all people see marriage that way. I have talked to men and women who see marriage as a duty-bound relationship. I've talked to people whose marriages have sunk to the place of having to cooperate with each other in order to get their way. I have talked to married couples who see their, their spouse as a burden and taskmaster, and there's no longer any joy in it. But I don't think God designed marriage to be that way, and I don't think God designed religion to be that way. Religion and marriage are to be joyfully entered into and joyfully maintained because of this love, and there's incredible freedom in that love. You see, true freedom is being bound by God's ways. I could go over to the piano here, and I could sit down, and I could just say, you know, I don't want to be bound by all the rules around music. I just want to be free. Don't you, you know, isn't that freedom? But I think, sorry, Diane. <laughs> I can see some of the pianists getting upset. But isn't, isn't it true that we're free in music when we obey the, the laws of music? Or if you're water skiing behind a boat and you think, I just want to be free. You let go of the rope, you'll see what freedom looks like. <laughs> and so as we begin to think about freedom and the true nature of religion, I want you to know the author of this letter in the New Testament, Paul, he had come out of a religion that was exactly like the one the synagogue rulers were part of that condemned Jesus for healing on the Sabbath. Paul says in chapter 1, verse 14, which we'll look at next week, he said, I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But when he who set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me, I did not consult anyone. You see, once Paul met Jesus Christ, he realized that what he had been practicing was masquerading as true religion, but it was absolutely false. It was a burdensome, bounding religion that was man-made and legalistic and burdensome to live out. And unfortunately today, even under the banner of Christian, and even under the banner of Baptist, and even under the banner of Evangelical, there can be 
signs and, and pieces of that legalistic, man-made, masquerading as the true thing religion that sneaks in. It's not going to be found in the statement of faith. It's not going to be found in the Constitution, but it's going to be found in the way that we relate to each other and the way we practice and live out our community life and so on. We call them in this little promotion of this series RTDs, Religiously Transmitted Diseases. We've all been somehow touched by a strain of a religious idea that has snuck into our childhood, into our growing up, and somehow we have this idea that is actually in contrast with the pure gospel of free grace, which is in Jesus Christ. And some, to some degree, we all need a detoxification. We need our minds renewed with the truth of God. And uh, sometimes it takes work to get past the layers, look under the hood, go deeper into the heart and the mind that you bring to Jesus. See, the truth is that the Christian, by definition of the New Testament, is so bound to Jesus, so one with Jesus, just like a man and woman are one, the two shall become one, so one with Jesus that every other enslavement has been severed. And it's so incredibly, we're so yoked together with Jesus, set free from other masters, worldly masters, religious masters, so that we can serve in a new way of the Spirit. And that's why the theme verse of this, like Kevin shared, is chapter 5, verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. A worldly slave, slavery or a religious slavery. Now Galatians is one of those letters that perhaps was the first one written by Paul the Apostle. Perhaps around 50 AD, possibly 15 to 20 years after Jesus was raised from the dead. That's how soon this letter might have been written. And um, just a couple of years after maybe one to two years after Paul had visited these churches in the province of Galatia, had planted these churches, had established elders and leaders in these churches, just between one and two years. We can read about those uh, times in Acts chapter 13 and 14. And uh, it, it's found in what is today modern Turkey. And the people of Galatia, this area, were, were, were a mixed group. There was a lot of Jewish people, from the diaspora, there was also a lot of Greeks or non-Jewish people. And the people that had populated there that were not Jewish were actually uh, not of the Asian descent or Arab or Oriental descent. They were actually what we would call Celtics. They were the Gauls. And uh, they were the people that mixed with the Jews had populated that area, and that's where Paul planted churches. Paul and Barnabas planted several churches. You can read about it in Acts 13 and 14. And you'll also read there when you see it that already there was some opposition happening as the gospel church was being planted. And so in a nutshell, what was happening was that there was false teachers that in the time that the church was planted until Paul writes, there was false teachers that had infiltrated the ranks and they were basically saying, you need to become a Jew in order to become a Christian. That's what they were saying. They were called Judaizers. In other words, yeah, they said, Jesus died on the cross? Absolutely. Rose from the dead? Absolutely. Is he the Messiah? Absolutely. No problem with Jesus. But then they would add, they would say, Jesus plus this. 
And they said, if you're going to really become a true Christian, truly be forgiven, then you've got to do it this way. You've got to become a Jew. You need to be, your men have to be circumcised. You have to obey the commandments this way. And all the other rules that they added on top of even the Old Testament law. You know, I, I, I'm afraid that I've seen some of the remnants of this in churches today where we say, yes, Jesus is, is it, but, but plus, we, we think you need to do it this way. The skit was priceless. They couldn't even decide on what to eat for lunch because of religious scruples, man-made, perhaps. So in the time that we have this morning, just briefly, I want to, we've talked about the nature of true religion, which is freedom in Christ, bound to Jesus I want to talk briefly about the nature of Christ's mission on earth and the nature of false teaching and false teachers. G.K. Chesterton once said that most philosophers think that in making the world <clears throat> that God enslaved it. But according to Christianity, he set it free. That's what it says. He set it free. Christianity is a rescue mission. That's why Jesus came. And uh, the word that Paul uses for rescue or deliver is the same word that's used in Acts chapter 7, verse 34, when it is describing how God delivered Israel from the land of the Egyptians. And when they were in slavery for over 400 years, he set them free. And uh, so the gospel is not only free, in other words, Jesus paid the full price on the cross. It's not only free, but it's freeing. And that's the second part that we often don't get. We think we understand it's free, but, but we don't understand how freeing it is. And that's the part that Galatians addresses. Christ has come to set us free, not just from the punishment of our sin, but the power of sin and the practice of sinning. Christ has come to set us free from the practice of sinning. And so let's look at the first part, the nature of Christ's mission. Verse 4 Jesus gave himself to, for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. What is the nature of Jesus' mission? It says he has come to set sinners free from this present evil age. Now, I want to ask you, if you were to just go up to your neighbor or if you were to talk to someone in your family or go up to the average person on the street, and ask them, what is a Christian? I wonder what answer you would get. Would you get the answer that, it's, it's, that Christianity is all about Jesus Christ who came to set people free? I wonder if that's the answer you'd get. Or would you get the answer more likely that a Christian is one who follows Christ, who follows the teaching of Jesus? I think that's likely the answer you'd get. A Christian is one who follows the teaching of Jesus, and according to the scripture we studied last week in Matthew 28, it's true. I mean, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. So teaching is, is, is very important, and Christians should follow the teaching of Jesus. But is that really the mission of Jesus, and is that really what a Christian is? See, the problem is, is that it is impossible humanly to fully know all the teachings of Jesus to the point where I'm actually obeying them. 
Am I obeying all that Jesus commanded? It's impossible. So I don't think Jesus just came on an education mission, is what I'm saying. Paul did not think that Jesus Christ coming to earth was mainly an information education mission. And, and if you just get them educated right, they'll know what to do and they'll make the right decisions. Really? Is that, is that true? Do we not hear that today in the news and in the media and in politics and in social circles? Do we not hear that if we just inform these people, if we just educate these people, if we just get them the right information, they're going to make the right choices and they're going to make the right decisions? Really? Do you believe that? I don't believe that. Mark Twain said, it's not the parts of the Bible that I do understand or don't understand that bother me. It's the parts of the Bible that I do understand that, that bother me. Why? Because... I know, I understand, I'm educated, but I don't have the ability to carry out the obedience. The sins that you wrestle with, okay, whether they be sins of the Spirit or sins of the flesh, do you not know enough about them to know that they're not good things to do? You see, the problem is you, just, you don't have the will or the ability to obey. And so what is the mission of Jesus? He came not on an information mission. He came on a rescue mission. You need to be rescued. A drowning man does not need a swimming lesson right now. A drowning man needs a rope thrown to him. A rescue mission needs to be taking place. Then we start to educate. That's why it says go and make disciples first and then start teaching them. Jesus came on a rescue mission, folks. If you want to just boil it right down, he... He came to seek and to save what was lost. Every human on the face of this planet is lost until they know the one who came to rescue them, Jesus. And he, he's the one that takes all the, the loves of our affections and he, he puts them in the right order. All the distortions of our sin, he, he begins to heal us from the inside out. What a loving God he is. What a lovely Savior Jesus is so gently leading us into wholeness. He came to rescue us. Like Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, he says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Ooh, if that was where he stopped, I'd be afraid. Because he says, it is God who is at work in you to do two things, both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You see, I need a new wanter. I need a new will. Sometimes I don't have the will to obey Jesus, though I know what he wants from me. I need a new wanter. He came to rescue me. He came to give me a new wanter, a new heart. And so I can, I can actually have the will to do it, but sometimes I have the will, but I still can't carry it out. Well, he gives me the will. He says both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. You see, that's true religion. That's the religion of the pure gospel. He, he by his presence within me, gives me the new heart, the new will, and then he also, by his spirit within me, the power, the ability, the ability to do what God's already called me to do. Not out of drudgery, not out of duty, not with the anvil of religious, man-made religion hanging over my head, thinking that if I screw up, he's going to come down on me with a big fist. 
No. Loving, glad obedience. Oh God, who have I but who have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. And so Jesus came on a rescue mission. It says, says in the scripture in verse 4, how did he do that? How did he fulfill his mission? Well, he says he, he, he gave himself for us. He, he became the substitute. The, the word for is the idea of in place of. He, he came in place of us. And there's nothing that we could do that could change that. We, we deserve wrath. We get righteousness because of what Jesus did. He took our place. Should have been us on that cross, Jesus took our place. And there are a thousand ways out there of polluting and watering down and poisoning and distorting the pure gospel. And so, that's the nature of Christ's mission. Next week, as we continue on, we're going to be looking at the nature of false teaching and false teachers. The idea that there is a different gospel is false. There's no other good news, really. But it was being passed on as good news. And so Paul's going to address in verses 6 and following that distortion, which we'll look at next week. I read once about a a first-century conversation that took place between one of the first Christians and her neighbor. And this person that wrote this imagines that it might have went like this. Ah, the neighbor says, I hear you are religious. Good. Religion is a good thing. Where's your temple, your holy place? The Christian responds, Oh, we don't have a temple. Jesus is our temple. No temple? Well, where do your priests work that do the rituals? Oh, says the Christian, we don't have priests to mediate. Well, Jesus is our priest. No priests? But where do you offer your sacrifices in order to find favor with God? Oh, no, we don't need sacrifices. Jesus is our sacrifice. What? said the neighbor. What kind of religion is that? It's a religion the way God designed it. A pure religion.